Chapter Nine of Historic Girlhoods, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in September two thousand thirteen. Historic Girlhoods, Volume One by Rupert S. Holland. Chapter Nine: Catherine the Great, the Girl of Stettin. 1729 to 1796 come with me whispered a small boy to a little girl who was standing looking rather lonely in one of the long corridors of a house in the northern german town of eutin come along he added still in a whisper and tiptoed down the hall the girl followed and saw him stop at a doorway and peep into the room beyond apparently satisfied he entered and she her curiosity roused went into the room after him it was a bare apartment with walls once white but now grey small barred windows a ceiling supported by rough timbers and a wooden floor uneven and uncarpeted on a bench at one end stood a large round tub of water and from pegs in the wall hung caps and coats it was the place where the few soldiers who were supposed to guard the house lounged when off duty and used as a dressing-room it was unoccupied now and the boy still on tiptoe ran across the bare floor to the tub of water pulling some paper from his pocket the boy tore it into many pieces and dropped three or four of them into the water then taking a stick that lay on a bench he began to poke the papers the girl stood beside him see fickchen he whispered those are boats sailing on the great baltic sea this one's heavy laden see how she rocks that's her port over on the other side here comes a storm and he stirred the water with his stick and sent the paper boats tossing to the rim that's not much of a pond peter said the girl disdainfully We've one in Stettin twice that big with live fish in it, and when we want to have a storm, we throw a stone into it. But the little boy was too busy with his boats to listen to her. He threw the rest of the papers into the tub and leaned so far over its edge that he could see his fat cheeks and blue eyes mirrored in it. Look, Fickchen, look! he cried excitedly. There's a whole war fleet going over to the other side. The girl, forgetting her disdain, bent over the rim and began to blow down at the water. Before they knew it, there were quick steps on the floor behind them, and a man had seized Peter by the collar and jerked him back from the tub. "'Didn't I tell you not to go near that water again?' the man demanded, his face and voice showing his anger. "'What do you think you are? You're a soldier, and a soldier's first duty is to obey orders.' For this you go to your room and do without dinner to-day. The little boy stood with his back to the wall, looking much frightened. Oh, Herr Brummer, he began. Not a word, ordered the man. You've heard what I said. The girl had looked on in amazement. Now she took a step forward. You're a simpleton, Peter Ulrich, she said. Afraid of your tutor. Why don't you send him away? 
Herr Brummer turned as if he had noticed the girl for the first time. He bowed, smiling sarcastically. Ach so, it is the Princess Sophia of Zerbst who speaks. And you would advise Prince Peter of Holstein to disobey his tutor? The girl's eyes met the man's defiantly. I would, she answered. At home in Stettin. Well, we are not in Stettin, broke in the man, turning back. Go to your room, boy, and stay there till I come for you. And if I find you playing here again, I'll make you kneel on dried peas till you can't stand up. The boy, used to being treated in such fashion, went out of the guardroom, his face surly and white. As for you, said Herr Brummer to the girl, the sooner you go home the better. You'll find Peter Ulrich a dull playmate. With that he turned on his heel and followed the little prince of Holstein, and heir to the thrones of Russia and Sweden, from the room. Fickchen, which was the nickname given to the Princess Sophia of Zerbst, waited a moment, and then went out into the garden at the rear of the house. She was used to being left to her own devices, but in her hometown she could go out into the city squares and play with other children, and here in Eutin she had been forbidden to leave the house at its garden. She wished she were at home again, and could not understand why her mother was so fond of travelling about to visit her relations. She thought this particular court of Holstein the dullest of them all, and little Peter Ulrich the stupidest boy she had ever met. He was stupid, there was no doubt of that, but no one had ever cared enough about him to try and make him more intelligent. Children of rank had a dull time at the courts of the little German duchies in those days. The Princess Fickchen was better off than Peter Ulrich, because she was a girl and did not have to be moulded into a soldier, but she had little enough fun. Her father was very fond of her, but he was a general in the army of Frederick the Great of Prussia, and away from home most of the time. Her mother was vain and capricious. The family were poor and only used the left wing of their palace at Stettin. Here Fickchen had three rooms, and her bedroom was close to the bell-tower of the church, so that she was wakened early every morning by a deafening peal of bells. She played in the streets with the town children, none of whom called her Your Highness, and the children's mothers treated her just like any other little girl. Most of her time, however, she spent with her governess and teachers. French was the fashion then, and children were taught the language, the manners, and the gallantry of Paris. The princess was bright but willful. If she was interested, she would learn quickly. If she was not, the teachers might storm, and she would only laugh at them. Her governess told her that her chin was too sharp, and that by sticking it out she was always knocking against everybody she came across. Fickchen laughed and stuck her chin farther out. But in her own way she was fond of her French governess, and read a good many French books with her. Even though Fickchen did like the girls of her town better than those she met elsewhere, her mother, who was restless and eager for excitement, found Stettin very dull and was continually travelling. She had relatives in all the little German cities, and liked to visit them at Hamburg, Brunswick, or Berlin, and hear the latest gossip. 
so Fichien met most of the grand dukes and duchesses of her time and was presented at berlin to the powerful young frederick the great who was just beginning his remarkable career this visiting also gave her mother a chance to see the young princess who might be eligible for her daughter's hand for it was the first concern of a young german princess to find a husband who would some day wear a crown but Fickian herself was not interested in these boys with long titles to their names most of them seemed very stupid to her much like peter ulrich of holstein taught to be a soldier instead of being taught to be a gentleman then suddenly when this little princess of zerbst was twelve years old strange events occurred in europe to the northwest of her home lay the mighty country of russia still almost savage but of enormous size and of unknown strength only a short time before peter the great had been tsar of russia and had built up a great empire that overshadowed the little german duchies that lay along its borders one of peter's daughters had married the duke of holstein and been the mother of the small peter ulrich another was the princess elizabeth who had not married peter the tsar had a half-brother ivan and ivan's granddaughter was ruling as regent in russia for her little son named ivan then on december ninth seventeen forty one the princess elizabeth filled with her great father's ambition suddenly seized the throne and threw the regent and the little tsar ivan into prison the child's reign ended and the unscrupulous woman took the crown as the empress elizabeth she was strong and could hold it and that was all that counted in russia then the empress looked about for an heir and her eyes lighted on peter ulrich the son of her sister the regent in prison had always called him the little devil because she was afraid he might some day set her side her own ivan the little devil disappeared from his home and reappeared at st petersburg and all the world learned that elizabeth had proclaimed him the grand duke peter her adopted son and heir to the crown she wore fichien heard the news and wondered how such a stupid boy could ever be tsar of russia the empress elizabeth like a fairy godmother waved her wand again and this time it rested on fichien herself the empress ordered the little girl's portrait sent to her dispatched presents to her and to her father and mother and finally invited the princess of zerbst to visit her in moscow and to bring her daughter with her the ambitious mother knew what that meant the empress meant to marry fichien to the grand duke peter that was a more dazzling destiny than she had ever dreamed of mother and daughter started out for moscow they were poor and did not need many boxes to carry their wardrobe travelling was hard and it being january the cold was so bitter they had to wear masks to protect their faces there were no hotels and they had to stay at posting-houses poor shacks where the landlord's family and his animals often slept under the same roof there was no snow but the four carriages in which the princess and her suit travelled were so heavy they required twenty-four horses to pull them sledges were fastened to the backs of the carriages to be used later and these made their progress slower but when they crossed the frontier to russia everything changed troops met them with flags flying and drums beating gallant officers joined them and paid them compliments 
Castles opened to them, and the ladies, shining with diamonds and silks, quite overwhelmed the simple German princess and her daughter. When they reached St. Petersburg, ladies of the court were ready to stock their wardrobes with magnificent toilets. The travellers were glad of that, for they knew their own clothes would look shabby enough in the presence of an empress who was said to have fifteen thousand silk dresses and no less than five thousand pairs of shoes. When they left St. Petersburg on their way to Moscow, the princess and Fikien travelled in a magnificent sleigh, built like a great couch with curtains of scarlet and gold, and lined inside with sable. The ladies reclined on what was really a feather bed, with coverings of satin and fur, and supported on springs so that the sleigh could pass over the roughest road without disturbing the passengers inside. Here they lay and looked out through the windows at the snowy, barren country all about them. Fikien was impressed. Used as she was to the simplicity of the little German duchy, she could not help wondering at so much extravagance and luxury, or thrilling at the sight of the great Cossack soldiers and the imperial grenadiers who rode as her escort. So she began to realize the might of this great northern country. The Empress Elizabeth welcomed them warmly at her palace in Moscow, and at once Fikien found herself surrounded by fawning courtiers, ambitious women, and all the pomp and ceremony of a court. Generals and statesmen struggled to kiss her hand, ladies to compliment her on her complexion, for they all knew now that the little German maiden was to marry their Grand Duke Peter. She knew it now also, but although she remembered how stupid and timid he had seemed at Eutin, she made no objection, because her eyes were dazzled with the wonders of this new life. Peter Ulrich had not improved since Fikien had last seen him. Herr Brummer's iron hand no longer held him in check, and he had run absolutely wild. His health was ruined, he was dissipated beyond belief, cowardly, and as ignorant as his poorest soldier. He kissed Fikien's hand and said he was glad to see her, and then left her to drink himself stupid with vodka. The marriage promised to be about as tragic as it well could be. But Fikien had more interesting things to think about than Peter Ulrich. She had to study a new religion so that she might enter the Russian church, she had to have prepared a great trousseau, and she had to try and learn in a short time some of the things she had refused to learn at Stettin. Then she fell ill and was sick for days, while her mother and the Russian doctors struggled as to the best way to cure her. The doctors advised bloodletting, but the princess was very much opposed to it. They agreed to refer the matter to the empress, and found that she had gone on a five days' visit to a distant convent where she had shut herself up in one of her strange spasms of religion. Finally she appeared and ordered the bloodletting. Poor Fikien suffered, but recovered. When she regained consciousness, she found herself in the arms of the Empress, and in her hand a gift of a diamond necklace and a pair of earrings worth twenty thousand roubles. Fikien began to realize that the Empress Elizabeth was a very singular person. As soon as she was well again, she finished making ready to enter the Russian church, and in June 1744, when she was fifteen, she made her new vows. She was a handsome girl, and her youth, beauty, and modest manner made a charming picture as she entered the imperial chapel. 
she wore what was called an adrienne robe of red cloth of tours laced with cords of silver and about her unpowdered hair was bound a simple white fillet her voice did not tremble and she did not forget a word of the long russian creed then her new name of catherine was added to her other names and it was announced that henceforth that would be her official title the next day she was betrothed to peter ulrich peter's health was so bad that the wedding had to be put off from one date to another but finally in august seventeen forty five when peter was seventeen and catherine sixteen they were married with the greatest pomp and ceremony fichien became a grand duchess and wife to the next tsar of russia and her mother went home to stettin and left the girl surrounded by her own court to fight her own battles no one had ever cared very much for fichien her father and mother had let her grow up as she would and the only thing that was asked of her was that she should marry the prince they might pick out for her that was her idea of duty and that she had done she had seen very little kindness or consideration for others or happy home life in any of the german courts where she spent her childhood she had seen men trained to be soldiers and gamblers and drunkards and women who were vain and spiteful and ambitious in russia she found things even worse than they had been at home the empress was a tyrant who had put the rightful tsar a little boy and his mother in a distant prison and planned to keep them there all their lives fichien's husband cared nothing for her and soon appeared to have forgotten that she existed if she had disliked him when he was a boy she despised him now that he was a young man all around her were conspirators and slanderers and spies there seemed only one thing left to her ambition tremendous ambition such as had made peter the great and elizabeth mighty conquerors and rulers of russia so cut off from all other dreams catherine began to dream of that and as time went on she made plans for the future strange to say although fichien had always seemed a very quiet docile girl catherine proved a very strong determined woman she kept her eye on what was happening in russia and she laid her plans peter had showed he cared nothing for her and she cared nothing for him more than that she knew that he would make the worst possible emperor of russia and she thought she knew someone who would grace the throne much better the empress elizabeth died at a time when the grand duke peter was away from the capital he heard the news and started for st petersburg but had not gone far when couriers brought him tidings that catherine had seized the throne proclaimed herself tsarina and meant to rule alone so she had dressed in the uniform of a general she had appeared before the troops and announced that she was their new commander those rough soldiers knew that she was strong and that peter was weak and they put the care of their country in her hands so the empress catherine the second succeeded the empress elizabeth peter amazed indignant terrified had no more chance now than he had had in the guard-room when herr brummer found him sailing boats he was only a pawn but as long as he lived he might make trouble therefore one night conspirators seized him and assassinated him just as had often been done to russian rulers before 
history does not say if catherine knew of the conspiracy in advance but does say that she shed few tears over his fate events proved that catherine knew her strength she became one of the great sovereigns of europe a far-seeing statesman a brilliant commander of her armies she was relentless but she was fearless as well and a century which had given the title of great to peter i and to the warrior frederick of prussia paid the same tribute to her she had only been taught the value of power in her girlhood and that was all she came to care for later the wonder of it is that the little fickchen who used to play with the town children in the streets of stettin should have become the masterful catherine the great End of chapter 9